and welcome once again to the Dice of Screaming podcast. Oh. I'm Randy. I am Mike. And together we're co-hosting this crazy mixed up thing that we call a podcast. So <laughs> welcome to it. And uh, it's Friday, so that means it's Freeform Friday for us, which we're just going to talk about some crazy stuff that just comes to the top of our minds and out of our mouths. Uh, as befits the indolent shepherd of gaming podcasts. Indolent shepherd. That, you know. Analysis, just, Mr. Spock. Just out there, out there in the field. Uh, yep. It's the I... easiest job, and we actually managed to look lazy doing it, so... <laughs> Yeah, I'm slowly uh, working our way up here. Episode 157, we're slowly coming up to uh, 200. So I wonder what's going to oh happen around 200. Oh, we, well, we should do things. There should be things to celebrate that one. All right. Well, uh, we still got that uh, Tunnels and Trolls one uh, thing to do. Oh, uh, live cast. Live cast that we want to do. So maybe that'll come up here. But just things have not worked out. So where we can take the time, sit down, and actually do this live and informally because that's the only way we do anything informally uh, well <clears throat> uh, we're very formal about our informality yeah but anyway so uh jason jason has uh, given us some uh call-ins and uh he goes as normal for jason he gives us a plethora do you have a plethora would you say i have a plethora of call-ins why uh, yes yes you would um we're gonna give you a warning episode one and two don't wear headphones. Just going to say, no, that, that, that hurt. <laughs> the studio audience may wish to lower their the volumes, volume. uh, before embracing these, uh, you know, no, before no, no, listening, no, no trigger warning or anything. No, 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 no it's no, not trigger, you know, and certainly no adult material warning. <laughs> uh, just like there may be moments of spiking volume. Yes. So you were warned. <laughs> Listen carefully, so uh, adjust your volumes <laughs> accordingly. But take it away, Jason. Hey, guys. Here I am in in the pit with dangerous dogs, fighting them off. This is Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Didn't want to call you from the road anymore, so... Nah, I'm just kidding. I'm in the backyard throwing the ball with the dog. Um, anyhow, great episode on player options, or not player options, on giving the players that they want. Just have a couple quick stories for you. I don't Obviously, don't have any corrections or anything like that. Um, today, I'm going to get to play in a 2E campaign. AD&D 2nd Edition is a game I never got to play because I'd gone in the Army by the time that got published. And, you know, we just played 1st Edition, Star, D6 Star Wars, and other games. But I guess after the break, I'll tell you, about, tell you a story here. So a little bit of background for the story. Barry over the Shadow GM's podcast has offered to play a series of one-shots for Shandy Andy of Unguarded Trevor podcast and myself. Neither of us had ever played 2nd Edition, 3rd Edition, or 4th Edition D&D. I've read 4th Edition. I haven't played it. And I think we're going to go up through 5th Edition. But anyway, we're going to do a series of one-shots. And he said, go ahead and make characters and make 10th level characters, and I'll play you through a series of one-shots and experience a difference in the systems. And... Oh, there's a message from my boss. Sorry about that beep. Anyway, the um, so we rolled up characters. Andy made a ha Andy was gonna make a thief. I was gonna make a cleric, and he ended up making a halfling. And I thought, wow, that'd be cool to make a halfling cleric. And if you look in the rules, there's a rule in second edition that if your primary attribute's high enough, you can go up to tenth level as a halfling cleric. So it worked out. 
Anyhow, come to find out that in second edition, so weapons have sizes, of course, and halflings are small. So, a ha so there's actually no one-handed weapon a halfling can use, a halfling cleric can use in second edition. Although cleric-approved weapons are end up being two-handed because they're medium size. So he had rolled a bunch of magic items and stuff for us because we were going to start 10th level. And so I had the shield that I can't use, and I can't give it to him because he's a thief, and a thief can't use a shield. Because, <laughs> you know, we're not using all the splat books and stuff. So we're so it's interesting. Maybe I'll maybe our first part of adventure will be I'll go barter to trade the shield for something. I don't know. We'll see. But anyway, it's going to be fun. And, and he tells me as, I, as we move into third edition, there'll be other options. I'll be able to use the shield and whatnot. So we'll see. Um, but it'll be an interesting choice. But the, so I'm sure we threw him for a loop by doing the all halfling party and then giving him all these restrictions. Okay, this is getting long, so I'll do one last quick story. I'm running ICRPG, Index Car Role-Playing Games, Altered State, which is Cyberpunk, which is going to be released hopefully this month. I'm running a early release version of it. And I was going to do a serious Cyberpunk campaign. And the first character that came back to me was a guy that wanted to play the mind of an of a elevated monkey in a human body. So basically, he was an elevated simian, and, you, you know, that had been genetically enhanced, and he, but he's going to be implanted in, in a human body, kind of like you see in um, uh, wh whatever that show was that was on Netflix or Amazon, where they, you know, you've got the chip in the back of the head, and you can take that out and put it in other bodies. Well, that kind of thing. So we went from kind of serious to gonzo with the very first character creation, because I wasn't going to tell him no. I mean, how cool is that concept? So, yeah, we're, we rolled with it, and, you know, the campaign's been a little gonzo, but it's been a heck of a lot of fun. And we're back. So, hey, thanks, Jason, for all that. And, yeah, um, that all-halfling party, yeah, that's rocks. That's, uh, that's really good. Um, that is a good example of a DM just saying, like, you know what? I'm just running with it. You know, whatever happens, happens. Yeah, we did that with uh, Pathfinder this uh, Thanksgiving. We ran a Thanksgiving game, The Peace of the Gobbler. Oh. And so, uh, yeah, that was recently updated, so we ran that. Defeating the dreaded Turklore. Turklore and the gr <laughs> the Gobbler. So, and um, got rid of the cat there. Uh, it worked out really well, and... Uh, for the Pathfinder, I had more halfling rules, like they got a uh, saving throw advantage, uh, like they would in D&D, 5th edition, for not wearing any shoes. Um, you know, they got experience points for eating, <laughs> taking extra uh, meals, and uh, I don't all that. I think he knows about second breakfast. Well, he does now, because this is an all-halfling party, so unless he wants to wake up in the middle of the night with his throat slit, uh, yeah, he probably should do that. Um... <laughs> But yeah, so that that was pretty cool. Also, uh, the altered carbon uh, chip chimp chip head. Yeah, that, that is literally what we're talking about. Somebody yeah. comes up with a really original idea, and instead of a DM saying no, I just like I don't feel comfortable with this, so I'm just backing out. No, this this does not radically harm gameplay. Uh, it's really interesting to see how it will play out, uh, and the DM said. You know what? Let's see where this goes. And That's the attitude we're talking about, man. They're totally bananas about it. <laughs> yeah, they went ape over it. Oh, well, they did. Yeah. <laughs> this sounds like a swinging good time. Right turn, Clyde. <laughs> Pow! Yeah. Well, anyhow. 
Yeah, that's exactly where we're going with, and uh, that, that's really good. That so. is the heart and soul of what we were talking about, that a DM having the open mind, uh, you know, to embrace a new idea, embrace something weird now mm-hmm. out there. Uh, and not that long ago, I, I did a, I DM'd a special birthday game for a bunch of kids, and oh my gosh, the imaginations that ran rampant, I had to... Uh, quickly spliced together since I, it was intended to be first level characters. You know, I had to rein some of this stuff in for you know power balance reasons. Uh, well, yeah. there's only so many half angel, half demons well, that you can have in your party. Oh, those are just called kids. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't know. <laughs> well, right, but you only got so much room for them at the table. You know. Yeah. The, the, uh, you know, or Dark Warlords of the Horde. Yep, all right. Uh, so, yeah, I, I thinned some of that out, but uh, I did tweak and alter some standard rules and things like that very quickly on the fly uh, because it was a one-off session, mm-hmm. and I didn't think it would harm anything to... As long as the power balance was still in place, if the like kind of base level of damage that they could do and resist was still neutral, the tweaks... Oh yeah, it's in that in that Goldilocks zone. It's a little hard to judge exactly where it is, but you do it by feel and intuition rather than and thank goodness because I was working with fifth edition, which was not my strong suit. I'm still playing fifth edition and learning fifth edition, Uh, so I I normally would not DM, but Mm -hmm. it was a special favor, so I didn't mind. But yeah, that's what we're talking about, man. Get out there and let the craziness happen. So, all right, uh, we've got one more from Jason, which requires a separate entry, so we're going to get right to it and be right back after the break. Stick around. Hey, guys, Jason here. I know I already left four minutes of messages, but I hadn't had my coffee yet, and now that I think about it, you mentioned the Howling. The Howling movies are by far my favorite werewolf movies. Now, that's not to say all of them are very good, because they're not, but that first Howling movie is amazing. The second movie is... Well, it's campy goodness, um, although I'm pretty sure Christopher Lee has disavowed it since. The third one is just <laughs> gonzo, and then they kind of go downhill from there. But they all have a little something or another you can steal or watch, and it's an interesting train wreck of a series to follow as it goes further and further you know, down. But yeah, the Howling movies are by far my favorite werewolf movies. I was very happy to hear you mention them. So take it easy. All right, we're back. So, yeah, um, I wasn't really trying to defend that one. The Howling series are terrible movies, but the first one is probably the only one that there is anything salvageable. And for me, that was the uh, dynamic of the human pack and the characters that were not human. There were a few, uh, two werewolves that were wolves who could turn into people, which was, at the time, an interesting change on it. And as I understand, it came from a book. But the interesting thing for me was uh, how... That in the Pathfinder world of Galarian, there is a community called Wolves here that's pretty much an extrapolation of that. It's a bunch of werewolves who are uh, both natural-born and afflicted with lycanthropy, and they're working out their problems all on their own in the middle of nowhere. And it was a player option that uh, I was exploring for somebody, if they wanted to have a werewolf or a wolfkin, how I would uh, integrate that into a campaign where they were natural-born or... uh, came from the community and had a control, level of control over it. But, uh, yeah, the other movies, definitely, uh, Mike was talking earlier, he said something about that, you know, they just went all schlock and uh, splatter gore. 
I, you know, as the series progressed, it's exactly like Jason said. Okay, I, you know, it kind of started off strong with some really good core concepts mm -hmm. and an enjoyable movie that, you know, I, I, I actually very much liked the first movie. Uh, the second movie, not quite so much. Uh, and by the time you get to three, I was, it, I was pretty sure that like, yeah, this is a perpetual downward trend. And they're just, you know, milking this for all it's worth. And after four, I, you know, yeah, I, who, yeah, I didn't even, I don't think I watched, I seen two. I saw clips from the fourth. Uh, the second one was, uh, didn't the, bother to follow up. But yeah, the, uh, you know, the idea and the premise of werewolves is, uh, very strong in a lot of campaigns. That's, you know, they're primal, our natural, uh, fear and fascination with wolves shows that, um, and uh, before the show, we were actually talking a little bit about uh, somebody debunking the, uh, oh, the dynamics of the uh, pack, alpha pack, and all that. Uh, yeah, as the original next... author, the original author who uh, researched it in the field and wrote his paper on the dynamics of wolves and came up with the terms alpha, beta, you know, omega. Uh, you know, the author who had done that study and, mm -hmm. and personally watched the behavior of wolves. Uh, Never actually intended for people to take it quite so far. Okay, it wasn't then, a life statement, okay? Yeah, you know, he, he was not, you know, really trying to make quite such a statement. He was very casually observing the behavior mm -hmm. of wolves. And his experiences since then uh, have led him to recant and say, you know, like the, the relationships they have are actually much more fluid, uh, much more dynamic and wide-ranging than these fixed, limited roles that, captured people's imaginations uh so it, it's not a complete debunking but it's the the original author reasserting that it's a recant like, yeah a lot of you have not quite gotten what i was saying and some of what i was saying time has just proven it to be wrong it's just one of those things where it's easy to latch on to but uh definitely i think howling and silver bullet deserve a little bit more oh, credit for silver bullet uh in cinematography uh for their effects the one thing I think, uh, just I'm just going to end this on, is the one thing I think that spoiled it for Howling was the uh, long scene of transformation where acid and everything else is thrown on the guy, and it's just simply there for a pure visual spectacle, which is, yes, part of horror, visceral and uh, grotesque is, is part of horror, but, uh, you know, there again, it went on a little too long. i, I got to throw out, uh, you know, I, I know it's a time waster, but it's Friday, Okay, mm -hmm. I'm just going to indulge myself. Absolutely. Uh, American Werewolf in London, the original. Yeah. You know, cult classic. It's it, like I'm not going out on a limb to say that I like that one, uh, even though the, the budget wasn't that high. Uh, it is just one of the most fun movies. Yeah. Uh, hideously dark at points. Uh, and it enamored me when I was a kid. I just saw that and was like, wow, that is the most surreal out there, you know, like his, his rotting dead friend is haunting him and he's slowly descending into, you know, wolfish madness, you know. Ah, oh, just this wonderful, wonderful movie. And, you well, know, that's it. not it's a huge a, it's budget. A, it's, a, it's a personal uh, journey and it's very psychological rather than the more grotesque, which, of course, it still has, but... I would that would uh, would be my main takeaway is I think that people from the Howling 
a lot of fans of the franchise started to really gravitate towards the gory effects rather than the cerebral part of the story, which well, is harder to and, sell. And look at, at the time. The time in I the mean, 80s. Well, I was just yeah. going to go there. Yeah. You, you are exactly on point, man. At the, that particular era. We found out with latex and the blood pump, though. It's amazing what you can do with these things. Yeah. yeah so they, they went crazy. Yeah, they went a little nuts with it. Uh, <laughs> um, and, yeah, I mean, if that was the genre you went to a movie to you experience then you know it was a big win because a lot of that was going on right. uh, but if you were looking for something that was a little more complex and psychological yeah the movie slowly moved away from the, the more thoughtful aspects and uh into like well yeah when you're young you know your 14 year old brain hits around the idea of oh wow there's just lots of blood and boobs in this so this is really cool and you miss everything else there was too much talking yeah. in this movie Wow. Yeah, I, I didn't know there would be this much talking. Yeah, I'm <laughs> All right. In my case, uh, <laughs> I was cured of that attitude by the time I saw John claude Van Damme and Cyborg. It was like, you know what? Yeah, blood sport for, for the, me. The only time I asked for my money back. I walked the guy out doing the, the splits while punching people in the balls. You know, I... Literally spent an hour and 15 or an hour and 20 minutes in the theater. Walked out kind of dumbfounded because the only reason I had stayed that long was I was absolutely sure there has to be a payoff here somewhere. There isn't. And I had that optimism. Like, you know, somewhere in all this poop, there must be a pony. Or there you got Von Dommed. That's, that's exactly what happened. You got Von Dommed. Don't I get did. Von Dommed. Don't see any of his movies. He's terrible. Yeah, it was... And I just walked out and I apologized very quietly to the staff. And said, look, I I never normally do this. I should apologize to you. I, I never normally do this. This is the only time I've ever wanted my money back. I, If I had realized an hour ago, I would have walked out 20 minutes <laughs> into this and just saved my that hour of my life. Uh, this is the worst movie I have ever seen and I, I still have no idea how yeah. they managed to like pass this off as a film. So I, I just this once I'm gonna yep. ask. And they, you know what? They were awesome. Gave me my money back yeah. and said, you know, like, hey, you know, please come back, find another film you like, and see that. And I like, I totally will. Thank you for being so kind. Well, all right. But, but anyway, it. we're yeah, gonna move on. Uh, we'll move on to real topics. Yeah, we're gonna uh, start to get in the ten minute mark here. So. Uh, oh. Uh, man's getting angry uh, in the, behind the booth. There is no man behind the booth. No, it's just a lie. But uh, we'll be right back. We got like some message cake. to. We got some uh, little uh, messages to pay the bills with, and we'll be right back after that. So stick around. All right, we're back. So uh, yes, a lengthy diversion into horror and madness, and uh, you heard it here on the podcast. So. <laughs> Once again, um, <laughs> thank you, Jason, for the howling because we covered some ground on that, which shows that, of course, that uh, we love movies from the 80s because they're very terrible at the same time. They are enthralling in the fact that they have such good premises and yet they squander them for cheap thrills. Yeah. But we only knew that when we got older, so, uh, you know. Yeah, we, look, yeah, they were not rectal surgery bad, okay? You know, they mm. were just, they were more like, uh, mild dentistry, you know, discomfort level. That's about mm -hmm. it, you know. Yeah. Uh, this is no Yui Bowl production. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, don't get Von Damme. You know, even Von Damme has Von the Damme. stand. 
the standards enough not to work for Yui Ball. And that tells you something right there. <laughs> because he values his reputation. Yeah, I'm sorry, I couldn't even finish it. <laughs> Just give it up, man. All right. I couldn't. I couldn't make it through that with a straight face. <laughs> I lost it. I'm sorry, bro. <laughs> you're all right. You're you're well. You're well excused. You're in good company. Okay. So, okay. All right. So composure. Well, composure. Okay. Yeah. Descent into madness and horror. It's fully complete. Okay. Kimono closed. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Let's let it go. All right. So anyway, so what's our topic for tonight? Well, it is a one that suits us very well. It is why is gaming so varied? Why are there so many systems? Why are there so many different rules to handle the same thing? And what? And not only the what of these rules and what they're trying to accomplish, but why do you have to have so many different ones, so many different systems? So we're just going to start off with answering our own questions here, which is why is gaming so varied? Well, it's a lighthearted romp for us. This, you know, this is very much in our bailiwick and it's a question and this is Reform Friday. So we're allowed to ramble and just kind of pick this apart. Look at the bones that make the soup, you know? Oh Yeah. And I, I got to say, I'm intrigued. I'm going I'm to hear your thoughts on this because we're doing this cold, uh, as we so often do. You know, mm-hmm. we, we have we've sketched out our principal topic and a few points that we'd like to hit, and then beyond that, it's an open book, and we we don't really do a lot of bounce it off of each other, find out where we stand first. Uh, we just jump in, you know, uh, we like leap into the pool head first. All right, well enough preamble, let's do it. So why is gaming so varied? Because of genres, um, different genres. Like, for instance, if you have climbing rules, rules for climbing a ladder in fantasy gaming, uh, or climbing a rope or climbing the side of a wall, how will that translate into a science fiction setting? Now, of course, science fiction setting, you might be dealing with heavy gravity or lighter gravity or no gravity at all, absence of things. And so... You might also have, like, why would you want to climb something when you can just use your jetpack or use the force? So, naturally, different systems have to do different things with the rules given. For instance, climbing a cliff can be a particularly challenging episode in a fantasy game. Uh, a natural obstacle is, of course, what it is. But uh, in much more advanced or modern and futuristic settings, it becomes less so. Just fly over it. Now, I was going to just go right out of the gate, and the the first answer I would have as to the why, like at the root, um, part of it is copyright. You know, there are a very small number of games who were the very first uh, to do this. And once a system is published, most of its intricacies are copyrighted work. And if somebody has a terrific idea for an entirely different genre of game and really wants to publish something, uh, although it would have been useful and easier to simply, you know, copy-paste and say, like, hey, let's use this incredibly handy system that we already know and add a new genre to it. But many companies could not do that. Uh, The material was already in the zone of copywritten material and they each carved out their own little piece of gamer history uh, by developing and refining their own systems and some of them had slightly clearer visions than some of the earliest creations 
a lot of the the very early RPGs were uh, they did expand into other genres as they went, uh, but they retained some of the clunkier elements of the mechanic system that they started with. And I gotta hand it to those who came along after. Uh, some very creative minds started to move outward from the dawn of gaming and, you know, codify, clarify, you know, like break it down, get down to percentile-based systems, uh, or, you know, in some cases, uh, uh, expanding upon what you could do with a smaller number of dice. Uh, I, I was particularly fond of Traveler, but there were limitations to what a couple of die six could do. Uh, I was very fond of D&D, but in its very first incarnation, it was admittedly pretty clunky at points. Uh, and as you move on past that, it starts looking, you know, I, let's see, by the time you get to things like paranoia uh, with a all percentile based system, or for instance, uh, RuneQuest, you know, had a pretty cut and dried clear system. Uh, you know, you, you begin to see uh, a, how shall I put it, a little more player-friendly, okay? Much like a user-friendly PC versions. Uh, Windows, you know, uh, generic universal role-play system, GURPS, uh, you know, started to be a thing. Mm -hmm. There was, you could see that automatic drive people had, like, can we move towards something where all of us know the, the same footing and enter into a game knowing what we're getting into. Uh, yeah. Well, I would I would take the task that uh, the legals are, of course, obvious. Yes, you cannot cut and paste. that. It would probably be better for me to say, like, there were certain design limitations based in D&D. For instance, Dungeons & Dragons, first edition, zero edition, sorry guys, is not very uh, friendly towards anything other than combat or exploration. And exploration is limited basically by what the game master wants to put in there. And some see that as a strength in our, you can refer to us to about the uh, tunnels and trolls. Mike's very insightful moment of the less rules you have, the easier it is to gauge complexity because there's nothing to break. You're not going to break the system if there's nothing there to break. Yeah, and you can teach six players and like, yep, in you're off. like 15 to 20 minutes. So how do we construct a castle? Boom! Game. Oh, okay. Well, I'll make an intellect roll or whatever. Yeah. So that's where it is. It's Great first system. causes versus pioneers. And as they say, pioneers get killed and then the settlers come later. Um, <laughs> they all catch dysentery and uh, they get eaten by grizzly bears. That's what you get for dysentery. Yeah, that's right. Don't diss them. But I also think it's different rules versus complexity. For instance, there was a, a different rules. Can I get you some pemmican? Maybe um, some sorghum too. But uh, different rules versus complexity. Well, first of all, to make the different rules, they hid them behind layers of complexity. And certain things like the hero system, what would become known as hero systems, how champions did things, it was all intuitive to them. But it was very similar to what GURPS would do later on as well. And basic role-playing, the percentile system, I mean, it wasn't that different from what Fossa did with Star Trek, uh, the role-playing game either. So, I mean, there was some diversity in the way that they did that and kind of like a, you know, but you're still dealing with rolling dice to determine the outcome of a factor that you put before the players, whether it's deciphering ancient ruins of a long dead language or busting down a door 
in Dungeons and Dragons, it was all down to attributes. And I still say that that is a portion of the game that what genre you have changes that. Doors in a dungeon are going to be much more difficult than doors on a starship that are designed to keep in, you know, pressure and take uh, harsher conditions. So how do you get around opening a door on any starship to a dungeon? Well, in a dungeon, you could potentially break it down. And of course, in a starship, you could also take your heavy goggle, goggle blaster and just blow a hole right through it. <laughs> 1.21 gigawatts. Oh, yeah. All channels, baby. And, yeah. 50 watts per channel, so, baby cakes. So I think you're on something that, yes, there is a, there is obviously the legal problem. But uh, why are why is gaming so varied? It's still the genres and the way that you do things versus the expectations of the setting. Um, for instance, in 40, Warhammer 40K, you can have a varied of starships and ox carts. You know, um, it, what is it? The trope is that, uh, you know, it takes 10,000 people to load a gun in Warhammer 40,000. You know, <laughs> one of those huge, massive cannons. Or, drive me closer so I can hit it with my sword. Wait, what? What? <laughs> this makes no sense. This, none of this. This is not how this is supposed to work. It works perfectly fine. It's Warhammer 40K. Get used to it, noob. Okay, well, yeah. But, you know, it works. <laughs> and I think that is the, where the system, the tires meet the road in this uh, preamble here. But, uh, oh, no, I, I got to say, uh, part of it is also that gamers are looking. I, I shouldn't speak in this big of a glittering generality. <laughs> but, you know, gamers as a whole uh, tend to be restless creatures. Yeah. There's always a search uh, you know, for that next change of, of rules, that next new dynamic, that next exploration of, and the creativity involved. There are so many creatives uh, who, they may not be published authors, they may not be uh, particularly famous, but uh, there are so many creatives that have come into and out of gaming. No, and it the gist of it is that that level of creativity uh, coming into mm -hmm. and going out of gaming means that you're inevitably going to run across just so many people with so many new ideas. Um, and with that immense drive, the way to express it in game terms, to get it into a mechanical form that you can dependably count on game after game uh wow you know it, it starts to drive and yep and to it, an almost ludicrous degree where we see so many, many scores of gaming systems yeah and you have to also understand that you know the more complex the system becomes or the more things you add to it the unwieldier it becomes and the more prone to breakdown and exploitation which we kind of covered in the uh game balance yeah, the that, pursuit of it. We did touch on that in, so in game So this is where I wanted to go with this. So good job on that. Yeah, picking that up. But why so many rules? Well, you know, like, okay, so you we touched on this with the legals. Um, so Star Wars is obviously going to be a distinct entity from Star Trek. But okay. what about Traveler, which, you know, really didn't try to emulate Jedis, you know. Yeah. No laser swords. No. 
No uh, laser sights. I mean, and, and a laser was no joke in Traveler. You got your paws on one of those, you you were really kitted out. Well, what, what is it? Uh, um, it had a big pack. I mean, the laser gun you had was a laser carbine, and it was, like, huge. Yeah, they, you know, this is... <laughs> I'm going to go out, it's a carbine, I'm going to go out and hunt deer with it. No, no, it's not that kind of carbine, it's a... Uh... Yeah, prepare to suit up, Ghostbuster. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Got an unlicensed nuclear accelerator on my back. <laughs> is that legal? I will make it legal. <laughs> it's legal because I'm holding it. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> it's legal because who wants to argue with the guy with the laser carbine? <laughs> so when you, you know... When these guys, a lot of these guys were first causes. I mean, you know, you got your first science fiction role-playing game, which was, yes, Metamorphosis Alpha, which, of course, was answering a lot of things like D&D in space. You know, door. How do you open a door on a starship that's metal and all this? And Oh, well, you have ID cards. Oh, okay. You know, so no thief class. No. No way to pick the locks? Nope. Not really. I mean, at this point, uh, thievery per se is down to computer hacking and uh, individual person-on-person -person con artistry. Well, That's you it. Are, you're, you're talking really crazy terms at that level of metamorphosis alpha computer yeah. hacking. How does that work? Well, no, no, no. In metamorphosis alpha, that doesn't <laughs> exist. But if you were to take away all the other elements, you know, you're left with, like the nearest thing you've got to a rogue is the ability to lie. Right, and that's where it kind of goes with the last part is a lot of this is looking backwards. When we look at, oh, those little systems are so quaint in the day. Were they? Percival? Yes, I think so. <laughs> yeah. We're yeah. yeah. a lot of backwards looking because at the time, what seemed to be exciting, new, and fresh would, you know, five, six years down the road, a better system or a better pre presentation of that concept and rules would come out, and then you were like, oh, wow, this is really terrible. Why did yeah. we ever play this? I... And I refused to beat anybody up for that at right. the time, because when it went, the gaming went from zero to 60, like, in half a second. It just, all of a sudden, the, the wheels hit pavement, uh, you know, while the engine was revving, and just, zoom, it took off. And there were so many systems coming out so quickly uh, that it was a great deal, like, watching the rise of, like, uh, computer speed and strength you know just yeah. every six months the entire universe of computing upgrades uh like you know, five thousand terabytes you know just and, and you know that process is still continuing so gaming had a moment like that mm -hmm. you know at that time where the exponential growth in its popularity and variety meant that yeah all right a lot of original but terribly clunky systems got made. Yeah. And, you know... Not going to bury a grid. The early systems, you know, they, a lot of the burden of task resolution was on the Game Master. Yeah, you, you know? almost don't see that level of creativity anymore. Uh, no. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so unique. And again, I'm not trying to oh. throw anybody under the bus for enjoying that stuff. The crazy games that you would find, like the, the little ones, the little publications. Yeah, the, Ardwin Grimoire. Mentioned in the back of a Dragon magazine ad... War Dingo, the game of Australian mounted combat. <laughs> Get your battle crooks ready for my war wallabies. And, you know, games like Jeroon, <laughs> which, which is, uh, oh, I was such a that. weird concept. And uh, was Very it Mock brilliant. the First Colony? That was another really uh, obscure one that I actually picked up and... Uh, you know, just passed it. It was like a little $10 book. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get this. And it was like, it was just about surviving on a uh, a colony. Oh, 
Oh. You know, like the first colony, and they had to ditch, uh, not at Alpha Centauri, but a nearby system. And, Interesting. Uh, you know, it was unplanned. It was less than ideal. So, you know, it was almost back to near Stone Age frontierism. You know, wow. where you go back to flint napping at certain points. It's like, wow, <laughs> this was an in- this is an interesting freaking premise, and you know, uh, but you know, what kind of rules would you use to support that? Well, obviously, at the time, you know, they came up with their whole uh, new system, but in addition to the system, they had different concepts that they wanted to put forward that you might not encounter. In a D&D game, because it's kind of provided there's a certain level of civilization already existing that will support an adventuring class. You know, people going into dungeons and dying all the time. No, boy. Yeah, you're not getting anything done just going into dying all the time. That's kill me before I die in a dungeon. That's right. We yellow beards are at our most dangerous. When you got to pick a lock and a poison needle comes out and just stabs you. And you just die. And you didn't even think why. You just said, okay, give me a new character sheet. And then you're back on the... <laughs> Fire the next character into the hole. Yep. I will climb over the dead bodies of the other 17 character sheets that have been wiped out on this. And eventually, I will make it to the treasure. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so there's a lot of fun stuff from those. And that's where I think that there's some undiscovered treasures still laying out there that may have fallen by the wayside because, you know, more and better... Uh, and flashier presentations and systems. Now, I think we kind of almost are returning to those days with the advent of the PDF market. I think what that's allowed you to do is kind of circumvent the distribution network and the production costs just to get your idea out there, out onto the PDF market. Um, and very quickly, and, you know, it's very tough for people to make it past a certain curve for production yeah. quality. Uh, if they're working independently, but for groups of people who are willing to work together and like get some good beta reading, some proper editing in, uh, there's some remarkably good material coming out on PDF these days. Yeah, and you just see all kinds, even just the one-page rules. I mean, uh, oh, bear, a honey heist with you're just playing bears, or the the great games from uh, the nice people at Cheap Ass Games. Uh, yeah, they haven't really Devil Bunny. Yeah, Once this is not hand. so much uh, role-playing games, though. I think that's no, where no, I want to try to take this, is like true. the one-page rules of, like, Honey Heist, where you're just bears trying to steal honey from a casino, and it's like Ocean's <laughs> Eleven, but you're bears. And the, the absurdity is that nobody cares that you're bears. Yeah, but, you know, like, this is totally happening. Get over that hump right now. We're going to rip this Band-Aid off. Understand, you're bears, and nobody cares. <laughs> you're bears, they're not. So what kind of bear can you be? I'm a brown bear. <laughs> what kind of bear are you? I'm a polar bear. Oh, oh no. Here we go with we the polar bears. Yeah. A black bear. And you all working together to get that honey pot. Mm-hmm. What you didn't know is the raccoons already busted it and stole it before you got there. Oh. oh. And now you're the deal. ones, that, and now they're turning the tables on you. You're the ones that were getting blamed for the heist. Stuck holding the bag. Raccoons. Oh, See, it's interesting. Those masks, that tells you everything right there. Yeah, exactly. If they were really honest, they'd just show their face. That's right. Sorry. Uh, well, <laughs> we just, and that's the reason why games are so varied is because sometimes you have a story to tell and you don't need to have an extravagant production just to get it out there 
and get it into people's hands and put that idea into people's heads because they can make it work with just about anything. And I think that's the real dark secret of role-playing games is you really don't need anything other than your own imagination and a little bit of verve, some wit, and some dice. Yeah, And I mean, a pencil you, helps, too. Yeah, having a sense of humor is not going to hurt it. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't take much. No, uh, and I think that, you know, they talk to Gygax a lot uh, early on, and it's been repeated many times that, you know, the dirty secret was is that uh, they don't need us to make rules for them. We don't understand why. But uh, people like having things created for them and they're willing to pay for it and that's another good thing that you should keep in mind with this is that good people will pay good money for good things and oh, yeah. or people i'm not saying to say good people but people pay good money for something that is a good product and brings them joy and so there's there's money to be made there's golden thumbs our hills why roll out your dice and go pioneering yeah and um... Those of us who remember the very first incarnations of D&D uh, as it formalized uh, can remember Gygax's writings within, uh, most notably the first edition Dungeon Master's Guide. Uh, so much effort was made to provide a nice template and some nice background and base information, uh, and then to spell out in a number of areas where the DM should then take off on their own, uh, fill in the blanks, uh, learn to adapt to the unexpected and create their own yeah. systems uh, to navigate it on their own. And he was a great advocate of that. Uh, yeah, that's the old lost. school ethic that I liked right yeah, there. Is that's, that is our definition of old school. Thank you. That is yeah, exactly and you know it. what? That It doesn't have to be a certain system. I'm always going to have that. Just do it yourself. And, you know, it's up to you, but there's a certain template, and this is, you know, the, the standard, or this is the baseline where you start from, and the rest of it is up to you. So, but I think with that, uh, we covered this topic very well, and I like that little snappy format back and forth. I think that you're absolutely on to something here with the uh, idea that you're just, as a player, experiencing what another game master or creator is giving you. And as a player, you contribute back by creating and adding right back to it. Like if we were just talking about Honey Heist, one-page rules, we're already snapping ideas right off the top of our heads to make this interesting. <laughs> and that's, you know, here's the the hook is, is that the raccoons already took your honey that you spent all this time breaking into the casino with to get that honey. And now the trap is sprung on you where you're the ones blamed for the heist. Oh. And now you got to get even with those raccoons and get that honey and get out of town before. And the entire thing should be played with uh, Cherub Rock by Smashing Pumpkins going on in the background. I don't know if he could handle an entire session of that, but yeah, uh -huh. I, I I dig where you're going. Because there's with... that line about get that honey, yeah, get that money, you know, just that, yeah, that. Sorry, triggered a <laughs> triggered a flashback. <laughs> like so many things, uh, one thing leads to another. Oh, by the pigs. All right, so uh, but I. I encourage people not to uh, dismiss uh, old school gaming because the systems are primitive because a lot of them were pioneers. They were trying to do it first and you didn't have a lot to go on. And a lot of other people built on the mistakes and failures and shortcomings of other people's work before them. So you have that clarity of the past, but you also have to take it into context that when you do something new that's never been done before, 
you're going to have some failings, like flint napping. I mean, I, but how do you even determine that? I mean, what's that even for? <laughs> oh, oh, poor dog. Oh, puppy nightmares. Oh, dear. Excuse us, just yeah, we've got to put a stop to that. We cannot have puppies with nightmares. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we do not suffer puppy nightmares yeah, here. That's right. But all right, dog on it, as it is. Uh, see, Jason, you're not the only one with dogs. Because um, we have cats and a fish that occasionally makes noise during our uh, recording session. She likes to let herself be known. Yeah, just an occasional stray bloop. Yeah. It'll but, be in our blooper reel. <laughs> oh, yeah, well. <laughs> Which, really, our blooper reel is the whole show. <laughs> yeah, we are just a one continuous blooper reel. All right. So we're going to need to uh, wrap it up here and send oh. it on its way. So we're going to let you off easy. And uh, we, I think we've walked full circle around that topic. But thanks for sticking around. And, of course, as always, if you've got any questions or concerns, which might be many, uh, if you're listening to us for a while, uh, you can get a hold of us on the Dice of Screaming Facebook page called the Dice of Screaming. Indeed. And, of course, you can get a hold of us on Twitter. But that doesn't really seem to be a big venue. But, hey, if you do manage to get a hold of us on Twitter, you can reach me at Death Hand Gaming. And myself at Magi Vox. All right. And uh, other than that, I think uh, you can just download that old Anchor app, because I have a cat in my lap, um, and let people know. What you think about us here, and we'll put it on the air. And uh, is it really air? We'll put it on the interwebs, and uh, we'll put it out there for everybody else to listen to. Darn so. them interwebs! Yeah, I put a mic in front of me, and suddenly I think I'm on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> I am so backwards. But anyway, uh, thanks for listening, in, folks, and we hope you have a good weekend. And as always, may the, may the dice, dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.